Love is in the air. Heaven Sent Flowers has the perfect gift for your special someone. Whether it be something sweet, something cuddly, or one of their beautiful flower arrangements, Heaven Sent Flowers has it all. Heaven Sent Flowers delivers to Ashland and to Shady Cove and all places in between. Check out their website, floweseaglepoint.com. Like them on Facebook to see more of their arrangements under Heaven Sent Flowers or call them at 541-826-2536. For a chance to win an elegant dozen red roses, comment hashtag flowers for me under the rose post under OPS Podcast Show under Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to enter daily. Winner will be announced Friday, February 28th on our social medias. Heaven sent flowers and gifts where it smells heavenly. Perspectives change with broken strings and worn out souls. Hues of gold and some with wings. Some are old, some undersold. To grow, we need to rely on and try on some Thank you so much for joining us on Other People's Shoes. Of course, you know I'm your host, Neil Matthews. Thank you so much for joining us today, and boy, do we have a treat for you. Before we get to our guest, I just want to call your attention to the fact that we are still doing our Rose promotion. So please, of course, go to our social media's OPS Podcast Show under Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. There you will see, of course, a gorgeous picture of some roses comment right below that flowers for me and you are entered do that all the way until the end of the month february 28th friday specifically friday february 28th so you have like what like almost a week or so left so be sure to do that help me welcome in now because i'm sure that's what you really came here for our guest she of course is a speaker she's a podcaster she's an author she's a mom she has a podcast called The Listening Chair. Go out and check that out. Okay, not right now, but after our show, go out and check that out. She, of course, is an author, and her latest book, which we are really excited to get an opportunity to sit with her and talk about today, is I Am My Own Sanctuary. Help me welcome in Meg. Meg, how are you today? Okay, so good. Good. So uh, I am so fascinated with this. Uh, your book title, of course, grabbed my attention. Of course, I am my own sanctuary. We'll get into that, I'm sure, a little bit a little bit later. But we got to ask, of course, the most important question that everyone gets to answer when they come on, and that, of course, is what size shoes do you wear? Yes, 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 yes. I have been waiting to answer this great icebreaker question. So exciting. So I have to wear orthopedic insoles because of my arches and I pronate and then I also put way too much weight on my right foot and my weight is more on my arches just my sorry just on the heel of my foot on the left whereas the right foot it's equally distributed so um I have to wear orthopedic insoles so I am an eight and a half but with my orthopedic insoles although I'm only 33 I have orthopedic insoles so I wear a size nine and is there a brand or a certain style you like to wear more than most? Ooh, a, I love Dansko. Dansko shoes, they were made for ballerinas and dancers who are on their feet all day. And they are super stylish. Um, and then nurses and doctors and hairstylists started wearing them too. So they're for people that aren't um, 
aren't doing athletic things, but are on their feet a lot and want to give their feet and their back a rest. And they have the, the original design. I know way too much about this brand. <laughs> the original design looks like a clog dancing shoe, like a clogger would wear, if I'm saying that right. So it comes off the back of your heel when you walk. And what that is doing is that is uh, making sure the shock of your foot hitting the ground doesn't really affect or hit your bones and muscles and all the good stuff in your feet that hard. And so that takes a little bit to get used to. Um, but once you get used to it, it's, it's fabulous. And so I, I highly recommend Dance Go Shoes. That, that might be the longest explanation we've had <laughs> describing someone's shoes. But that's okay. That's all right. Yeah. I, I'm wearing my plain old plain, uh, plain Jane uh, black Adidas. I love these. Uh, they're my work shoes. They're really tennis shoes. So if my work ever really looked closely, they're like, you're not wearing dress shoes. I'm like, yeah, they're, they're Adidas, though, and they're black. They're Adidas. Do they have nice arch support? Uh, you know, I had plantar fasciitis. I'm an avid okay. runner a while back, okay. and that, that might be hell on earth. Um, oh yeah, I've that, had it before. It that is. is that is the worst. Uh, I don't wish that on my worst enemy. Not that we should have any enemies, but you know what I mean. I I just oh <laughs> that's terrible. So um mm -mm, no, I have. You probably maybe know maybe don't. I I have upwards of fifty pairs of shoes. Oh yes, I have uh, heard that. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of a shoe nut, so um yep. you know it's 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 getting better. I think. Man, I know <laughs> probably I know not, that we have no, I know we've talked about the Enneagram, and so as yes. as my as my in all my three glory, yeah. I want to give you a marketing tip for your social media marketing. Thank you. And you yes, please. You you should totally make one day on Instagram and your personal Facebook account one day be a a picture, a really nice picture of one of your pairs of favorite shoes of your fifty, and sharing the story of how you got them, what attracted you, what you events know, have you worn them to. I love that idea. I really do. No, thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. It would uh, totally honor. It would honor your fourness. It would honor unique. my fourness for sure. We, of course, are going to talk about the Enneagram too. If you're not sure what that is, uh, stay tuned. We'll we'll tease that as well. Uh, we are big Enneagram fans, uh, Meg and myself. So, Meg, we're going to just jump in. You 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 strike me as a person that just likes diving in the deep end too, right? Just cannonballing in. Totally. All right. So here we go. So. Um, how has becoming a writer shaped your identity? Oh, that is a deep question. It has been like most, I think anytime we create something as co-creators with God, whenever we own the power, power of our talent and we, we, we steward the idea well and we create something, it is not, it's not only healing for us to do that, but it's also it's healing for others to take part in that creation. So um, it has given me an increased confidence in myself, and it's it made me yeah it's made me more aware of oh this love this utter love that I have for how words look on a sheet or on a Microsoft Word document or how words feel in your mouth or how how compliments feel when you say them to others that love is not just for me to love that and enjoy that um, and really enjoy a well-written episode of 30 rock or a well-written piece of poetry. Like it's not just for me. That was that love of words that I have. It was given to me to share with others. And so that's been really empowering to see how to hear back from leaders of the book and hear how 
they felt encouraged. They felt closer to God. They closed the book feeling more equipped. So tell me in those ways and it's been shaping me. I remember back to kindergarten. I know you're, you kind of have that uh, children's ministry, children's yeah. pastor kind of background. So I, I know this is mm-hmm. going to probably resonate with you, but I remember back to kindergarten riding the bus to school, the one, two times I rode the bus to school in elementary school, but we had a uh, show and tell day. And I remember there was this box, the rainbow colored box. I don't know why I remember this, but, but we could bring one item from home to share. And that was our moment to kind of unveil it to the class. There was some buildup, there was some fanfare. And then when you took your item out of the box, obviously everybody, there was some oohs and ahs. But I'm, I, I, I referenced <laughs> that memory as weird as this sounds as when I come out with an episode and maybe when you come out with one in the listening chair or even when you've released a book, because I know this isn't just your first book. This is your second, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, you are right. Right. Okay. So when we unveil that to the world, we want everyone to get excited about that show and tell or that project or that, you know, piece or whatever it may be. Have you discovered in that process not everyone really loves what you're doing and not everyone who's an Oz. And, and so my question leading all of that to say this, how the heck do you counteract the naysayers and, and the people that are just like, listen, I, I didn't love that. It wasn't great. How do you counteract people's views of you? Yeah. And um, yeah, definitely as an Enneagram an three, as a performer, achiever, performer slash achiever, whatever label you want to give us three, that was the hardest part of this last book was that I had to accept the fact that it's not going to impress a lot of people because my authorial voice or my style as a creator is one of satire. And I, I use, I use a few cathartic cuss words and I poke fun at complementarian marriages and um, the bureaucratic machine of the church and a little bit of purity culture. Um, I, I in no way, <laughs> teaser of the book, I in no way promote promiscuity, but I poke fun at some of the teachings in youth groups in the late 90s and early 2000s. So I poke fun at things that people have great value for. And so I had to own in the, I had to, I, I had to email a few mentors, give them a warning of the book that they were going to read a side of me that, that won't be in line with them theologically. And, and thankfully the, the, the more, the more conservative right wing leaning mentors in my life responded with love and saying, I, I break my heart that you think that I would love you any less because we're not theologically aligned anymore, but I want you to know I love you and I already bought your book. And so, but, um, so that was good, but I, I had to really own it that this is, I guess, marketing 101, um, that I had to figure out with my, with, with my business coach and figure out who is my target market, who is my niche that I'm serving with this book. And then as a three owning it, this is going to be a small target market. This is going to be a small niche that I'm serving. These people that won't be offended by a book that has scripture and Friedrich Nietzsche and a South Park episode mentioned and Tina Fey's writings and, um, you know, and so that, that would be interested in a book that reads like Seth Meyers had a book baby with the Catholic nun, Joan Chittister, you know, and so um, owning my target market and naming it, claiming it, surrendering to that, and then just, creating everything with them in mind. And then also I was very intentional with the introduction to this last, to this last book um, in saying that if, if a, if a word or a sentence, something like this, I put, if a word makes it triggers you or strikes you as uncomfortable, 
I invite you to put the book down and breathe deep and tap into why is this bothering me so much? And so um, I'm totally, totally open and aware to that. And um, not all creations are for everyone that we all have, even if we haven't taken a single marketing class. <laughs> um, we all have a target market that we're serving with our creation, period. And owning that and then surrendering to serving them well, everything you do. Yeah, I I think that's any that's the danger, right? Anytime. I know I had to get over that and I, I would imagine others would as well. Yeah. Is the fact that when you create something, when something is out there on the internet, I mean it's out there as long as the internet now will exist, right? And right. I we've gotten some feedback on shows that we've done that people are like, you know, I, I didn't that didn't really resonate with me. That that didn't really mm-hmm. you know, I didn't really like that. I could've I could have gone without that. But then we've had other shows where somebody's like, oh, my gosh, can I meet that person? I want to hug that person. I want to cry with that person, you know, and I'm like, cool. I'm glad Mm -hmm. that spoke to you. But you really have to set really ego and pride aside. And it sounds like you've kind of done that in a lot of respects. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and um, I love the saying that. And it's (laughs) speaking of offending people, (laughs) I'm going to mention Oprah. (laughs) Just kidding. Um, But uh, but I love I love what I've heard her say many a times about books that she recommends in her book club. And some people that that I didn't I didn't understand that book at all about spirituality. And then she would just say, "You weren't ready for it yet." And that is that is the case for a lot of content out there that some people aren't ready for it yet, and some will never be ready for it. And the way the mentality that they're operating out of their worldview, it's, it's working for them right now. And it's not my job to convert them <laughs> into liking my stuff. Cause they're not most likely they're not my target market. And I, I feel God has called me to serve this specific niche of people. And so I'm, I'm trying with all my heart to do that. Well, I, again, I think that's great. Um, <laughs> why should I, or why should I not be my own sanctuary? Oh, I think you or the listener or myself can be not see my favors to live from a place of appeasing or impressing others. And so I think when we're we are, when we take when we own our power of the of the Holy Spirit which dwells within us and we stay in tune with what God has made us to do and we learn to trust that in all situations, professional and personal, and we. Um, we tap into that as opposed to relying on the opinions or the validation of others. We live into who God made us to be. And we're, sorry, I sound like a sound bite. I don't mean to. <laughs> um, and we, um, we're able to balance, um, to live in the psychology world, as they would call, as a differentiated self. We're able to balance our autonomy and togetherness better we're able to own our emotional health and let others affairs we're able to be less reactive um yeah that's so so many benefits to to being one's own being one's own sanctuary and and listener and for you who hasn't read the book please know that i'm in no way implying that there's not time for empathy or corporate worship but i believe that so many so many holy rollers out there like myself have just reached utter burnout because they've been so busy appeasing their parishioners or impressing others and they have forgotten to tune into the, their own power of the Holy Spirit within. So that, that's where um, that title came from was this idea of 
the, the psychological term differentiation. And then this idea of owning that we already have this arsenal of grit. And as I say about the book, we already have this arsenal of grit for every goal and grace for every wound within, within us because the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And I think too many Christians have um, for, forgotten that part of the story. Well, I think for me, much like you, you mentioned you were on staff on other shows and that's part of, you know, your story. What, 17? I think you were on staff, right? Yep. Okay. So I was 19 when I was called to be a youth intern. So what that meant, (laughs) just to clarify, is... I might know what that means. Yeah. Well, some might not. So just to clarify for those that that might not. So So basically I got um, $350 a month. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, I was not, I was not at the time married. My wife, Elizabeth and I were on track to be married, but we were not married. And so, um, what had happened is my senior year of high school, we had a youth leader step away, um, to pursue a, uh, external marital affair. And so that left the church kind of in turmoil. And here I am, the, the young, the up and coming young, uh, you know, vibrant, Never afraid to be in front of a microphone, gregarious, loving kids, you know. And I bet it helped that you're so tall, that you probably looked older than yeah. 19. You, yeah, you I huge. mean, I'm seven. No, I'm just kidding. I'm six two. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, the the thing was, is these are youth kids. These aren't like children's ministry kids. These are these are youth kids. These are my peers six months ago. Oh and now gosh, I'm yeah. asked to lead. And so when I was hearing you talk about your journey through the church and being hired on staff, I was like, man, that resonates with me too, because that was me, you know, and and that was, that's kind of part of my story too. But, but with that, you know, for me, I had to really kind of figure out my calling Mm -hmm. and I had to really figure out, you know, is God calling me into the ministry? Is God calling me to be a youth pastor or, you know, all this praise and compliments and, and all this great energy that people keep giving me and, and affirmations. I mean, there were, don't get me wrong, there were people along the way that were not my biggest fans. There always mm-hmm. are. But, right, right. But in that, and I'm curious if you were wanting to talk about this a little more, is the fact that you have this idea, the difference between compliments and calling. Could you speak to that for us? Yeah, oh, totally. So, um, and this might, I know it resonates with you and me and it might not. It'd be curious to know what Enneagram type it doesn't resonate well with. Um, but it is it is a truth that runs through our veins. And, and Enneagram 3, as you were saying, as a 4 as well. And that is the fact that um, there were so many times in my life that because I could, could morph into what looked successful, I would morph into that to appease or to impress, and I would do it just for the compliment. And then I would think, oh, because I get so many compliments on this thing, I must be called to do it. I'm, this must be my vocational calling. And and then I started noticing that there was there was certain work that I was getting complimented on that if I had and say if I had an off day where I was all by myself at home. I, I wouldn't choose to do that work. Like it did not bring me joy unless there was someone around to applaud it <laughs> or to say, good job, Meg, you're so great at that. And so, but what I did start at noticing is that what I was doing on my free time, what I was, what I could research for hours 
without anyone around, even as an extreme energy extrovert, um, what I would want to perfect, like just keep studying it to make it better. Like what was that skill I could do for hours with no one around, no one to applaud me. What was that skill I always wanted to just keep perfecting just because I loved it so much. And, um, and so that, that helped me decipher that. And so, um, for, um, I, I, well, I'm, I'm sure I try, I'm trying to answer differently than other shows, but, um, one thing that was helpful, also helpful for me in vocational discernment was I noticed that I, the people who were also down the ordination track and the things I would get compliments on were, um, the sacraments. And so as a mainline Protestant, we had, um, or, ordinate, ordained people can marry and bury, <laughs> do baptisms and, um, I'm forgetting one communion there it is um and they could they their uh, word order service so they're in charge of keeping the bureaucratic machine alive and the friends that were also on the ordination track they love those things and i could also as a three work my fanny off to impress and impede even though i wasn't feeling joy in those things i would do it for the compliment and then when i started noticing my friends talking about how much joy they get from the sacraments and running these committees and the bureaucratic machine of the church and I realized oh gosh the joy that you feel right now that's how I feel about studying neuroscience and spirituality that's how I feel about writing words that will make people laugh and feel equipped like our joy is coming from different things maybe I shouldn't be on this career path and so I started just checking in with myself am I doing this for the compliment or am I doing it because this is an overflow of who God made me to be and even if no one ever saw it just sitting at, on my computer or, you know, um, doing, doing what I was made to do. Um, I, I would do it all, all day. So I hope that's helpful. Um, I hope that answers your question. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I think it does. Um, for me, you know, going back to that is, is just the idea that for years I have struggled with, mm. am I seeking man's approval? You know, men in general, people, you can <laughs> interchange that. Or am I seeking God's? Because if I'm seeking man, Galatians uh, chapter 1 verse uh, 10 says, I think, if I'm seeking God's approval, or if I'm seeking man's approval over God, then, then mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm failing, essentially. And so that, to me, has always resonated with the fact of counteracting right. that and going against that. And it's so incredibly mm-hmm. challenging to do that. It just it just is. As right. a four, as a one, as a... Well, maybe ones don't struggle with that because ones are perfect, but yeah. my wife's a one. So, <laughs> but but I'm curious about this too. Uh, just building on this this concept, uh, I'm sure you're familiar with him. You probably bump him in the iPod or, or the the uh, MP3 player device you have. Lecrae and so many others have probably said something similar to this, but but okay. I credit Lecrae for this. Uh, he's a Christian rapper, so here we go. I'm not going to rap it because that's just not me. But he says, if you live by, uh, if you live for people's approval, you will die mm. from their rejections. How has this played into oh, your story yeah. specifically? Oh, that's so true. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, no, I definitely, after 15 years in the local church, um, the gnashing of teeth of the local church, I, um, even though I had an amazing senior pastor who I loved and respected and still do so much and taught me the importance of uh, self-care and self-love, surviving the gnashing of teeth at the local church. Yeah, I definitely felt um, there were times where I was living way too much for their approval that in moments of conflict and uh, differences and when I didn't feel supportive, it, 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 um, 
ate me alive. It burned, um, what's the saying? Burned me to the, to a charm. Uh, um, yeah. So I, and I think that, um, with my story, and I'm sure others will relate to this. I, as a, a missionary grandparent, so when I was 11, uh, there was not, due to external factors that I talk about in the book, divorce and dad in the Bosnian War as a soldier, and moving and lots of, lots of sadness, there, there, there was a season that the affirmation and validation that I, that it's healthy for a child to get at home from the, from the, uh, biological family wasn't happening for me and so I found that in the church and so I would preach and sing and travel to different conferences and churches with my missionary grandparents and I the applause was healing to me (laughs) maybe not healthy but it it was I found what I didn't get at home and in some ways like I talk about in the first book the there is a that's that's the role of the body of Christ is to be the supplemental family to kids that don't have that in their biological parents 100% believe that what I was getting though was this <laughs> um this mentality that God's love is like the church people's love which to me and at 11 was performance-based love and that we all know that's not how God loves and that's not helpful and healthy and um and so I there was a like all of us we grow up and we in our teen years and young adult years we rewrite narratives that we realize oh that's not serving me oh that's that wasn't true then and it's not true now I need to get rid of that narrative and um, so I I had to do a lot of that and thankfully thankfully although what hooked me to the church was as a tween I get a pause here I get I make people smile here I'm going to keep singing and preaching what that led to was connecting to Christ-like mentors that helped me grow and who God made me to be an authentic relationship and led me um, to to a God that heals and a God that knows a God that loves beyond all measure. I think that's the hardest part sometimes is when you, again, going back to this, maybe you've presented something or shared something and you walk off right. the stage and there's nothing. There's no, mm-hmm. there's no anything, you know? And and I know for myself personally, and, and maybe you have, uh, could think of a time where this is true for you, is you know, that used to wreck me and devastate me, but it's amazing when you start podcasting or start sharing kind of just this platform that everyone seems to be gravitating towards and you get nothing, you know, you're like, you're like, okay, cool. One step forward. Yeah. Here we go again. Right. Let's do this again. And so, you know, um, maybe do you have a moment like that where you just, Um, there was nothing? Um, oh yes, definitely. Definitely. For, for sure. And I think for, for my personality type and how God wires me, it's, um, I had to start this. It's such a balance. <laughs> it's such a balance when you are a presenter or a, a, a content creator. It's such a balance of, I'm going to decide, I'm going to decide before I go into this speaking opportunity or this lesson that I have prepared my best. I am speaking the truth that the Holy Spirit gave to me. And no matter how, what the energy in the space feels like, I'm going to enjoy myself because this isn't, this is to be the dead horse. This is an overflow of who I was made to be. And there's a balance of that. And then also being in tune with your target market, with your, with your audience to know what, what needs to 
what, how, how, how do I need to alter my material to better meet their needs? And I, like most moments in my life, I have an example from a great comedy and my husband and I love, um, Arrest in Peace, Terry Jones. We love the uh, Monty Python and Monty Python crew from the seventies and the British group. We love them, adore them and have seen, have watched so many documentaries about them. And one of my most favorite, favorite, favorite interviews was with a John, John Cleese and Eric Chapman, Chapman, hope I'm saying that right. It was in the last four years or so. And in this interview, they said that it was a different game back then. Comedy was a different game. <laughs> and he said, we, and the idea person in me loves this moment so much. He said, we were talking with the BBC producers and the president, and they asked us, what do you want to do? And <laughs> the five of them said, we just, that we told them, um, well, maybe we want to, we don't really know for sure, but it's going to look something like this and we want to do this. And just because of their reputation and their talent, the BBC gave them, okay, here's, here's a season. And John Cleese said, we never, we never had focus groups. We never thought, what does, what do millennials find funny these days? He's like, we just wrote what brought us joy and what made us laugh. And, and I think, I know for my co-host Miranda on the listening chair and other things I create, there's such a balance of, um, of, of both of those things, altering if you need to, to better meet your audience needs or who you've been called, your demographic, who you've been called to serve. But also at some point <laughs> deciding I'm going to enjoy this and just have my content name overflow of who I am. And I, I think that's um, good and, and beautiful and godly. I, I think that was beautiful and <laughs> godly right there. So, uh, so I I really love love a lot of what you're saying. Uh, actually, almost <laughs> everything you're saying. Um, years uh, <clears throat> I shouldn't say years ago. Uh, early in our podcasting process, I'm uh, I'm always listening to good speakers because I want to be a better speaker. Right? Isn't that what you do when you go see somebody mm-hmm. that you're like, I want to go do that, and and I want to I want to yeah. I want to follow what they're doing. So one of my favorite speakers that I love to listen to guy you know i think uh louis giglio big fan so uh if you can maybe work something out i heard you might know him but um but anyway um my louis giglio story and then of course i'd love to hear yours because i know he's a great communicator and, and maybe you resonate with the fact that he's a great communicator as well but he um he and his team will give credit to his team as well might have been just him but he came up with these eight crazy steps okay to be successful and so uh, I'm going to read them and then, okay. and then let's dialogue Great. on that. How's that sound? So uh, step one uh, mm. is humility. In order to do anything, you got to obviously, step number one, you got to admit that you're, you got to be humble in the process. Step number two is you got to have training because, you know, you just don't just jump in and just figure it out. I mean, there's got to be some training, some processes. Uh, as much as I'm not a process guy, there has to be a process. Adaptability, you know, obviously being able to kind of go with it, you know, move you know, transition, got to be able to kind of move with that. Uh, trial and error, because there's going to be some errors, I'm sure. And there's going to be some, oh, that didn't work. Oh, well, that was a bad mistake. Let's not do that again. Hunger, something I'm sure you don't struggle with in any level, I would imagine. Uh, just having that hunger that when, you know, the going gets tough, that grit you always talk about, which I love so much. Um, faithfulness, you know, obviously staying faithful mm-hmm. in what you're doing, whatever it may be. Perseverance, my personal favorite, which I actually is not my spiritual gifting as well. Uh, but you have to persevere. You got to kind of keep going even when it's really at the hardest, which for me is also tough. 
And then of course, before you get, begin any great journey, you have to count the cost. So I'm curious about that. What do you think of all those things? I agree a hundred percent. And I love how it was <laughs> interview <laughs> well, over. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Well, that's good. <laughs> interview over. Yeah. I Hashtag love how he transposed it to such easily processed, uh, easily digested words that transpose the language. Great. I think simplified it. I, I, I have shared that on a number of episodes and I will continue to share that because in my mind, uh, I'm going to, you know, if one day maybe get to shake his hand, God willing, you know, maybe we have a cup of coffee together. I, I don't know. But to me, when I heard that from him, I mm -hmm. put it everywhere. I have it at my desk at work. I have it at my editing desk at home. I had it on my phone screen, you know, background on my iPhone for a long time. Um, it resonated with me so much because that to me is what mm -hmm. this is all about. Whatever journey you're on, whatever quest you're on, whatever it may be, you have to have all eight of those mm -hmm. elements, oh, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. And I think sometimes the one that, to no surprise, jumped out at me, as you said, was the step on, um, it wasn't grit. It was another word. Was it perseverance? No, it was a word before, a step before perseverance, maybe. Uh, so let's see. I'll go back over the list, make sure I got them right. So I think it was... Like trial and Possibly. error, maybe. Oh no! I should have them. I no, should no, no. have them all memorized. Think, Let's see. You said faithfulness. It was faithfulness. Yeah. I don't. I, I maybe it was pers perseverance, adapt adaptability too. But I think both those. Yeah. Both, adaptability. Yep. Adaptability's both. there. Yeah. So that's like step one, two. That's the yeah, third both step. Of those. According according to our friend <laughs> Louis. So there you go. Both of those jump out to me because I think too often, and this is this is my my niche that I write to the people that I feel called to serve the most with my work and um is that I think too many Christians forget to be thinking Christians and I hope that doesn't offend anyone by me saying that and what I mean by that is that God is waiting on us to have ambition <laughs> and God is waiting on us to use our brains and set ourselves up for emotional health and so that might mean taking a personality test not thinking it's sinful to do that and, and figuring out, oh, look, my environment is not honoring how God wired me. Oh, look, my habits are not honoring how God wired me. I'm going to be a thinking Christian and, and change that. And so I think I, I know too many um, Christians out there who I um, have been in personal professional circles that forget that. And they don't, they, they believe that certain tactics like, like personality tests or self-help books that these are sinful and putting the focus on ourselves and taking the focus off of God and um, taking the power away from God instead of realizing God made you to be a thinking Christian. <laughs> Use your brain and honor how God wired you. And I'm obviously getting way too passionate about this question. <laughs> That's okay. We like, we like passion. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, Go, yeah. Going back to Louis Giglio, he's doing a he's doing a, a number of months back. He did a roar, mm -hmm. roar like a lion roar series. And so uh, one of his statements that he made, which I really liked too, was, "It looks like." Uh, let me see if I can read my note here. It looks like you were left mm. for dead, but guess what? God still has a wow, purpose amen. for you. I'm wondering by your book. If a lot of, we'll call them believers, Eight. disciples, people of faith, whatever it may be, if they, in a lot of respects, are like Lazarus, because that's what he's referencing in, in that 
statement, where that statement comes out of. He's telling the story, retelling the story of Lazarus. For those that don't know, Lazarus was one of Jesus's really good friends, ends up dying. Jesus isn't in a big hurry to get there. He's in the grave like four days. Jesus comes, says, Lazarus, come out. This is obviously the Reader's Digest version, but comes out. He's like, take the grave clothes off. But he calls mm-hmm. him by name. Lazarus, come out. So I'm curious, Meg. You got friends. You got a cool uh, associates, mm-hmm. colleagues, whomever. Do you think your book maybe is perhaps calling those by name who have been asleep for so long to come out of oh, what they've totally. come out of? Oh, totally. 100%. And um, to sound as lame as possible, I remember when I was creating the book, like and this happens for most creators when you create, which I think we all are, with something you create, it takes on a life of its own. And I, Tuesday night is right night for me and my husband and my daughter um, respect that. And they have their own fun play on Tuesday night. And I go to the coffee shop and it, it felt like I was meeting with, with a, a different, a, a soul, a person, a life form. And I was just joining that, that creation and listening to it and just when I printed out the pages the first half of the manuscript I hugged it like a like a baby that I had just birthed or something and loved it and just it I I felt the power and of course the power did not come from me but from the divine that this this would definitely be an equipping tool for so many people and like you said a calling people out to reach their potential and who God made them to be whether they are a recovering holy roller like myself or a I call them spiritually attuned go-getters, people that are spiritually aware and um, are seeking a relationship with the living Christ. And they don't give in to the lies that religion tells us that it is godly to play small or shrink back, as Marianne Williamson says, and ambition and self-love are also not ungodly. I can use a double negative. (laughs) And so, um, yeah, for sure, a calling out was a hope and prayer for it, for sure. So speaking of coffee, one of my favorite phrases uh, that I have really trying to resonate with, I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but it keeps just popping up in conversations. And that is this. Why do you think people are like coffee? Why do I think people are like coffee? Um, like, uh, like coffee for marketing, like copyright, copywriting. Oh, no, like coffee. Oh, like coffee. coffee oh, oh, no, no. Sorry. Okay. Yes. Specific on that. Caffeine. Like, yeah. Coffee. Well, how are, why do I think people are like coffee? Hmm. Hmm. Well, isn't there already a saying about you never know how strong, like tea has to steep in the boiling water to get stronger. And we too never know how strong we are until we are put in hot water. I'm totally butchering it, but I think the same could apply for coffee as well, that we never know our, our own strength until we go through really, <laughs> I'm stretching here, but let me keep thinking. <laughs> That's Okay. So what what I was thinking on that, and, and maybe this will help you out a little bit. I like that phrase because, one, it was given to me by a very good friend of mine who's been on the show previous. But he said to me, he said, you know, Neil, not everyone mm. likes coffee. Not, not, not everyone is going to love you. Not everyone is going to like the flavor that you're providing. Some might think you're really bitter. Some might be thinking you're too sweet. Some might think, you know, whatever it may be. But um, he said not everyone okay. likes coffee. And I, my wife is one of those. She, I think she likes me, but she doesn't like coffee. So maybe if you can, or, I mean, have you gotten any kind of pushback or any negativity to that? That they're just like, no, this, this just isn't for me. Um, I know of readers 
it just came out December 6th. So it's still pretty new out, new out there. And I'm really, um, I am, I'm aware of people that have read it in my professional circles. And I know that they are not aligned with it theologically and have told me they've read it and that they enjoyed it, but I could tell that they, they didn't enjoy all of it. And so, um, but no, I think I've I've tried to be intentional in my my work of stillness and solitude and meditating and journaling and being being in the sacred text in the morning and just taking time to be reminded by God of who I am and who I'm here to serve. Like my my um I, I do I do I do marketing for my 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 um all my jobs. So I'm sorry if I offend people by using target market, but being just very intentional with who God made me to be the type of person he's called me to serve my target market and what results I want to help that 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 type of person get. So I'm very clear on that. And then in the, in the, in the book I unpack, which was years in the making, this idea that we have different tiers of relationships and being, being aware even as nice little good Christians that different relationships call for different amounts of emotional energy, different standards and different and different boundaries and being clear on that. And so if if someone in the bottom tier, like if a, a T three relationship and I I um I unpack that as T three relationships are easy to avoid and they're rarely worth the emotional work. And and if you work in the church, you're gonna run into a lot of these relationships, <laughs> just being honest. Um, um, those, if usually if someone from that tier of my of relationships in my life is not a fan of the work I'm creating, I really don't care because it wasn't for them. Now, if someone in my T1 relationship, so those that are easy to love and always worth the work, so spouses, best friends, favorite coworkers, mentors, those T1 people. Now, if one of them says, um, out of love and respect for you, Meg, I have to tell you that I think I know your angle. I think you you had good intentions, but this work you just created was a distraction from the reader getting what you wanted him to her to get. Then yeah, I would definitely listen. Um, if that person was in my top tier of relationships, then so yeah, just um, and I think I know Brene Brown is famous for talking about this too. I want to finish her second TED talk about listening to only listening to the critic if they're. I think she quotes the president only listening to the critic if he or she is in the ring fighting as hard as she is. And so, um, so I think there's lots of power in that. And I also think about Brene Brown a lot. I don't know if she's an Enneagram. I don't know what her Enneagram is, but um, where she not is, what number she lives out of the most, I should say. <laughs> but I know she talks about after her first TED Talk blew up, literally blew up. I think it's in the top five most watched TED Talks. And she went to... She went to Twitter, as she called the 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 cesspool of social media, as it was at the time. Um, and people were just attacking her self-image and basically that. They weren't attacking her content. It was all her self-image and how she looked. And I think she was, it made her have this nervous breakdown. And she was bedridden for two weeks, three months. It was a long time. She couldn't leave the house. It was just, it hit her so hard. And so I love, I love that from that discomfort, this second TED Talk, I believe, was birthed. I would, um, from that time and when she talks about, I'm only going to listen to the critic if the critic's in the ring fighting as hard as I am. And so I think that's really important to remember. Long-winded answer, I have not had, I have not had 
explicit <laughs> um, explicit words against my work. And so, but I know that I will because um, I think that God made me to be, <laughs> I sound so confident, don't I? I'm starting to own my power that God made me to be a thought disruptor. And I'm owning that. And that is when it comes from a good and healthy and godly place, that is beautiful and leads people closer to a God that heals. And so even my title is provocative. I am my own sanctuary. It's like, oh no, what is she saying? That church isn't necessary. Oh no, that she doesn't need God. What is she saying? And then people read the first chapter and they're like, oh, okay, yeah, I, I, believe, I believe that too. <laughs> and so um, I'm, I'm owning that part of my identity and I know it will come. And thankfully my publisher, Choir out of California, they they were born for authors that are mystics and misfits and ask hard questions and or were born to believe things that might be viewed as heretical at first. And so I'm, I have a tribe of <laughs> about 17 other authors that work for choir that are all preparing ourselves to get the pushback that we're going to get from our books, but knowing that our books are out there to serve the people we're called to serve. No, I, I think a lot of that's great. And I, again, I, I just think if, if what resonates with me with what you just said is the fact that you're only hearing mm -hmm. the voices that really are going to yeah. speak truth. If somebody's coming along that is a naysayer, that is just there to be mean and vindictive and hurtful, right. you don't have time right. for that. Totally, totally. Bye, bye, bye yes. Felicia. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> right <laughs> okay if, if i'm putting words in your mouth you, of Wait. course stop me but uh hardest part of your faith so oh, far well, is um, what i didn't i am so sorry i skipped over the lily giglio question do you i think it's really funny as a three to share this 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 little story okay yeah go ahead and, okay. and then we'll yeah. go into so that. i I, sure. I do not know lily giglio yeah. but his he changed my life at a conference and it's quite funny so, and um as an enneagram three one of the hardest lessons for us to learn is that failure is necessary for growth and so this is a story where I learned that. So in, in, in the book, The Blue Bonnet Child, which is a book about how, um, how we can offer hope to kids whose home life seems hopeless and um, um, kids of abuse and troubled homes, what can nonprofit programs and schools and individuals do? So in that book, I present case studies of, of, um, of people, famous people that we know that came from very troubled homes but had these supplemental family members in their life that helped them grow closer to a God that heals and was there, were their family for them. So I talk about, and one of the case studies I do is over Matt Redman, which is such a ridiculous story. I've never told it because I'm a prideful three, but I'm going to tell it now because it's so funny. Um, so one of the case studies I talk about is Matt Redman and his famous relationship with his youth director. And I remember in 2008, I was at Youth Specialties Conference in Nashville, and I, in my mind, I remember hearing Matt Redman's youth pastor with this thick accent tell this um, tell this story of his relationship, his life-giving relationship with Matt Redman when he Matt was in his youth group. And I held that story and clung to it whenever I was serving kids in the local church and the hope of that story. So fast forward, that was 2008, fast forward to 2000. Um, 17, is that right? I think so, somewhere around there. And the Blue Bonnet Child book has come out and it's five months later and I've been asked to present at this giant conference and just, just as a workshop leader. And on the main stage is going to be Louis Giglio. And so I'm sitting there, like, oh my gosh, I, I haven't seen Louis Giglio speak since 
these specialties. I'm so excited to, to see, hear him again. And I lean over to my friend and I, who I'm at the conference with, and I tell her, um, this guy has the best accent ever. You're going to love him. He's so, so good. And she's like, okay, awesome. <laughs> so then Louis Giglio starts speaking. The guy doesn't have an accent. Doesn't have an accent doesn't at all. Have an at accent. all. Like he's a, exactly, a Georgia accent, exactly. if anything, but, but not, not an Australian accent, which I think Matt yeah, Redmond's So from, then I, oh no, it gets hilarious. so much better. So I, I rush. This is my oh, first okay. big international 40 denominations represented. If, 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 for those of us who are striving, who feel called to present and speak and communicate, this was a really big deal. <laughs> and I was so excited. It was going to be paid. And my husband and my grandparents and my parents came. It was such a big deal. And we were selling the book. And then I run back to my hotel room and I'm flipping through the copies of my book. And I, and then I'm going on Google and Garrett's like, what? My husband, what, what's going on? He could tell I look terrified. And I said, Matt Redmond's youth tracker's name is Mike Palavici. <laughs> it wasn't Louis Giglio. <laughs> so I had to spend all the money that I earned from that gig to pay Wissenstock, my first publisher, to re to re to edit that book and get it. Because you cited Louis Giglio. It did, as and no one reading? caught it. And there were there yeah, there were four <laughs> four, I think four different editors. No one caught it. And this is just a, my fear of mine, like People say, Meg, why don't you self-publish? You'll get so much royalties. And I'm like, I don't trust myself. Obviously, even with a publisher, a big mistake happened. <laughs> so, yeah, failure. So, uh, yeah, three, a three talking about that's, utter failure. That's, yeah, uh, I didn't think three oh, failed. Yeah. So that's, uh, often, I'll take a note often. of that. <laughs> so so uh, a couple of questions okay. and then we'll kind of wrap things up. Um, Hardest part of your faith would be what? Hardest part of my faith. Not thinking too much, just saying the first thing that I feel. Um, not living from a place of fear. So I guess that would translate into trust. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was easy. <laughs> yeah. That was an easy one, right? All right. Uh, I don't know. I can't guarantee all these are okay, going to get any easier. Um how how will you shape your daughter's identity and Ooh, vision? Good question. Um, speaking of Georgia, I read a book once, Next Generation Leader, I think by Andy Stanley, uh, circa 0405. Sorry, I'm a nerd. Less... Who's also good friends with <laughs> Louis Giglio, so maybe we could work something out with Andy <laughs> and Stanley. I'll probably miss with Andy Stanley someday, too. <laughs> Just kidding. But he talked about um, casting visions over your children when you pray for them. And so when I... When I pray over my daughter at night, I, I thank God. Oh, and he also, and I, I don't know if he said this or if I, I read this over time or if I surprisingly said this, believe it myself. Um, but I always try to, when I pray over her, um, not to talk about job titles, like not like performance-based things, I should say. So I pray over her is that I, I thank God for making her brave and for making her kind and for making her smart. And, and then I'm just, I, I try my best and sometimes fail. <laughs> um, but I try, she's five, but she came out of the womb of 40 year old. I'm pretty sure I, <laughs> I try to affirm these gifts that I see that God gave her. And, um, we recently had a, had a, um, two deaths in our family, my grandfather and my aunt. And, um, so we've been talking about that a lot lately and, um, in our house and, and, um, We've been talking about how 
um, when humans speak to us, we hear them with our ears. And of course we don't, we hear body language and whatnot, but when you're five, like we're starting there, right? Um, we hear, we hear people with our ears, but, um, with God, um, we hear God with our brains and our bones, feeling this sensational thing. There's, there's, we're using our senses to feel God. And, um, Henley, my daughter seems to, seems to understand that. And so I really want to empower her to, um, what have I said so far? Um, empower her in these character traits that that are that are godly and lead and help her live a life of, of close in close friendship with God. And I want to recognize talent and then also say, I see this in you. This could have, this could make people's life better because of blank. Um, those kinds having little little sentence short sentences like that. When I and the third one is just this. Um, learning to be aware of the Holy Spirit and how um, most of the time for most people that's, that's done in, in solitude and tapping into our senses and being still and trying to listen to God with our brains and our bones. And, um, and so the, those, those things have always, have always led me. And then I don't know if this answers the question, but I, um, I always, I always, I always, when I raise my voice, or when I, I make a mistake, um, I always apologize to her. And, and then she said, I'm so sorry. Mommy was grumpy. I, it was not your fault. Mommy didn't eat breakfast. Or, you know, or mommy had something happen at work and it made me mad. And I, I got home grumpy and I'm so sorry. And I'm going to try to do better. Or I get her to school, preschool too late and she misses playing with her friends. And, and mommy, why don't you get me to school earlier? I'm so sorry. <laughs> I took too long on my makeup. I will try better in the morning. And then I try better. And, um, so, so trying to forgive, um, model forgiveness and ask for forgiveness and being honest and transparent. Um, I think one of my, um, uh, most recent parenting lessons that I, I learned and that my daughter taught me and she teaches me so much is so good, especially in this time of, of grief when it's so fresh, just things she says lately are really, really touching my heart and helping me grieve. Um, but there was, gosh, it's, at some point this past year we were I hope I don't offend anyone but we were at Walmart and um they I don't understand this trend in toys that we're letting our kids play with poop I don't get it there's this toy it's a unicorn called the poopsie and it literally poops out slime then the kid plays with it and it's utterly disgusting and <laughs> my husband and I are totally against it there's so many things psychologically wrong with it anyway so Henley knows she she cannot have that toy and we're not that passionate about it we just say well I am but not to her we're just like no let's let's get a let's get a frozen Barbie instead you know we you know gently change the subject positively distract and so we're at Walmart and I tell her no we're we're not going to get that toy today my my answer is no and so so we leave the toy aisle and I'm so proud of myself man I'm kicking I'm kicking butt at being a parent I'm so good I said no, yay! <laughs> and then she's standing up in the shopping cart, and she is like tallest one in her class. So I should have recognized the physics of this and know that the situation wasn't inevitable. So she's standing up in the cart, and we're talking. And I'm thinking, if her dad was here, he would make her sit down in the shopping cart. <laughs> and so um, I'm thinking that, I'm feeling that, but I don't tell her to sit down. And so then we hit this bump. My very tall five-year-old flips out over the shopping cart and bangs the crap out of her, sorry, bangs her head on the tile floor. 
crying, bloody murder. There's a bump. Um, I'm checking, my dad's a paramedic, so I'm checking her eyes. I'm checking if she's conscious. Like She's totally talking and screaming and people are asking if they can help and I'm holding her and I'm freaking out of my mind. Like, what did I just do to my daughter? And then we, we get in the car. The Walmart employers are awkward as heck and they're like, please don't call a lawyer. Please don't call a lawyer. And I'm like, it was my fault. Did you not see me? I was the parent that didn't make my child sit down and now she's hurting. Like, so we get in the car. She's, she's Henley fine. She's not crying anymore. Um, she's in the back seat and I sit in the front seat and I just start crying so hard. And, um, and I'm usually not a crier, <laughs> um, but in the season of grief, it's my heart's very tender. So, um, so I, I sit in the front seat and I start crying and she says to me, uh, mommy, why, why are you crying? And I said, because I hurt you and I never want to hurt you. And I want to do everything I can to protect you. And she, in her great presence of a five-year-old says mommy you didn't hurt me it was not your fault you didn't put the bump there I'm okay and it was this beautiful moment that I needed and to calm my overdramatic self down but so yeah she she teaches me so much basically and I hope that I hope and pray that what Gary and I are doing are are raising her to be who God made her to be I never know where a question is going to lead. <laughs> I really don't. Like, uh, Garrett's always blown away that I can write questions within, like, five minutes to ten minutes sometimes. And sometimes I don't even have questions, um, which is You're dangerous. You're just basically a great podcaster is what it boils down to. Uh, I don't know if I'd go that far. Uh, I want to I go one last question, but I want to respond to what you said first. So I, I do have one more question. So totally. if you can give us a, sure. a little extra time. Okay. Um that was powerful. And, and I think in that moment, maybe there's a oh, teaching totally. moment there, right? When, when the bumps come, you no. didn't put the bump there, but we're careless. Sometimes we're standing up <laughs> in the basket thinking we're yeah. hot stuff, thinking everything's, you know, awesome. And we're just fantastic. Top <laughs> of the world. I'm the king of the world to quote Leonardo <laughs> DiCaprio. Right. And then we're brought back down to reality yeah. by a little bump. But who was mm. there to comfort us? Who was there mm -hmm. to comfort her? You were. Yeah. You were the mom. And I just feel bad for those in this world that don't have the mom, that don't have the dad, that don't even, if we're going to take it spiritual, don't have that saving mm -hmm. relationship in Christ that can truly pick us up when we're at our broken, most vulnerable moment and hold us in, a, in our arms and say, listen, mm. I love you. Yeah. You know, and uh, I think that was just awesome. So thanks for being honest and vulnerable and sharing that and got a little emotional, which my wife always gives me a bad time about making people cry. So um, so there we are. Last question, then we're going to play a game. So here we go. Uh, last question. Uh, what has following Christ cost or how has following Christ cost you cost your identity? How has following Christ It is. It has. This is a tough one to answer. I think it all goes back to um, et etymology. That's a study of words, right? Etymology, or sin. I'm gonna. I'm gonna say yes on that. I, I've never <laughs> heard that word, so I'll say yes to that. You. You have a college degree. I sadly do not. My degree is in uh, theology, sort of. It's an associate's, if awesome. you want to call it that. Uh, when I, 
Yeah, sort of. It's the Christian Missionary Alliance. I when I was a part of that church, um, I went through schooling to to get credentialed, and so I did carry the name pastor in front of yeah. my name for a long time, but uh, but not anymore. Yeah, so. God equips the called. It doesn't call the equipped. Is what it sounds like. <laughs> yeah, something for like that, right? You took time to be equipped. So, like you were saying earlier with Giglio Step. Um, okay, sorry. I don't mean to not answer the question. Um, so I think it goes back to, I have, because the words that were chosen in that sentence, not a critique for you, I just heard this question before a lot, and it, I'm, 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 I don't, I'm not sure how to answer it because I feel that following, following Christ has brought me closer to God and who God has made me to be, so that has added to my identity, but it did come with sacrifices along the way I could think of some relationships that I had to set up stricter boundaries because they were not helping me be who God made me to be. Um, so that definitely cost some, some relations, some relationships and. Hmm. Thinking of what else truly there are things, other, other things. Well, I'll, I'll, maybe I'll help you out while I give you a moment to think. I remember back when I was in middle school, and I remember I had some friends that were making some choices that were contrary to faith in some of their lifestyle choices, um, you know, drugs, things of that nature. And I had to make a choice, Jesus or mm-hmm. them, because they wouldn't come with me. They wouldn't enter into the youth group scene. They wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't be a part of that because of that reason. And, you know, um, there've been relationships that I've had to say, you know, no to because Mm -hmm. of maybe choosing to be a part of the faith and saying, you know, again, if you can't enter in with me, um, then we, we probably can't associate, Mm -hmm. which is sad, you know, because I I shouldn't have to do that. In fact, Jesus doesn't want that. He wants everyone. He's not, he's not selective. So I don't know if that helps any. Yeah. Yeah, that does. That that does help, and um, as I um, I share as I shared in the, the first book, I had I had these dreams and visions of having um, I think this is one caught one sacrifice that I made once I decided oh that if I'm going to be who God made me to be that one life I wanted to live it's it's not going to be me living that life, <laughs> um, and the, what I felt to um, I had a visions and dreams of having lots of children and having a house full of children. And, um, and then I, 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 I have a chrome, I'm a carrier of a chromosomal abnormality. So I'm like a Picasso painting. I have all the right chromosomes, but they're not all connected properly in the right place. So 13 is connected to 22. It's um, called trisomy 13. And so I wasn't supposed to be born. <laughs> Long story short, wasn't supposed to be born. Half monkey chromosomes was very infertile, probably um, couldn't get pregnant, and then had Henley a miracle baby, and then um, had to be done having kids, and I talk about this God moment that I had in the, the doctor's office that I felt a nudge on my heart from the Holy Spirit that that vision I had for my life of a house full of children was not what God made me for, and that I I was being called to, at that time, um, pour my heart and all my emotional energy and my soul onto um out to 
to kids of hurting homes. And so I, 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 the, the nonprofit programs I was a part of um, was built from that place of serving kids from troubled homes that needed a supplemental family. And then it led to the first book. And now, um, and now looking, looking back, what I reflect, I reflect on and I remember saying things like, why would God put a decision on my heart and then not give it to me? And then realizing like, oh, it, what I envisioned, God is giving me that in a new and mysterious way. And so, um, and then just feeling over, hearing God over again, over and over again, say, just birth this book, <laughs> birth this content that helps people from hurting places, that helps kids of hurting homes, that helps people find their grit, like just birth this book. And, and it's so funny. Um, it's amazing when we look back over our life and see, even though it was so uncomfortable and scary and not what I wanted at first, and I was heartbroken. I wouldn't have it any other way because we see the good that God brought from it, the healing that God brought from it, the ways that we're able to serve that we can never have imagined. But when we own it and say, this is, this isn't what I thought, but this is, I know without a doubt what God called me to and we own it and we surrender to that. Um, yeah. <laughs> Rambling. <laughs> no, I, I, I think you're right on with what you're saying because I think so many times, right. We have this, this identity, this, this vision, this, you know, concept of who we want to be, mm-hmm. right? I mean, the the sixteen year old you, yeah. Would she envision that you're here right now? No, this no, nope, maybe, nope. maybe not. Nope. Right? Sixteen, yep. Not I, at all. I, I, I know the, I know the sixteen year old Neil thought he was going to be doing something crazy. <laughs> you know, I was going to be in Connecticut. You know, working for ESPN. That's was my dream, and that was my my what I thought my calling mm-hmm. was. And, you know, for me, my my story, just real succinctly, is, is Columbine High School happens mm. when I was a senior in oh, high wow. school. And that rocked my world because the minute I heard what happened, I didn't think, well, gosh, you know, that's really sad that, you know, these kids died. And that is sad. Don't get me wrong. That is very sad that that happened. But the second thought after that, I believe, unequivocally clear as day, where was their youth leader? Oh, yeah. Where was their support system? Who was there to love them and hug Mm -hmm. them? Amen. And I thought in that moment, I felt God really say to me, no, that's, that's why I have Mm. you go do that. Wow. You know, not to, not to the, the people who did call and buy, but to the youth of the world that I've interacted with over the last couple of years. Amazing. so, yeah, I mean, the, the identity and the vision and all that, I mean, it all comes with a cost, whether we admit it or not. I mean, there is, there's that sacrifice. There's the, the Tuesday night writing mm-hmm. night, you know, mine's Tuesday night editing. Right, night. yeah, yeah. There's the the pay, the Facebook posts. There's the staying up on, you know, whatever's going on, being aware of what's happening and, and having great guests come on, right, and finding great mm-hmm. guests such as yourself and such as so many others. Thanks. I mean, there is a cost that comes with this. And I, and I think people think, oh, it's great. It's grand. It, it's there every Wednesday for me. Awesome. But there is so much more behind the scenes that I think people fail to really see. So, so much. Uh, so let's play our game. And then uh, I'll give you a final thought. How's awesome. that sound? And uh, so we play this game. It's really fun. Uh, it's just kind of like the way we like to end the show most of the time. So here we go. I'm going to roll because you are uh, in Kansas normally, but today you're in Texas. But we'll put a pinprick on our map for uh, for Kansas. So. 
I can't see. So, all right, here we go. I rolled for you. You got uh, three, so you're going to have to trust that I'm not lying to you. So you're going to have to believe that. So it's number three. So number three is this. Greatest thing you've ever smelled. Oh, my gosh. Oh, first one that comes to mind, obviously, is our local coffee shop in Winfield, Kansas, College Hill Coffee. And it's phenomenal. And um, that might be... (laughs) I guess the next one that comes to mind, it's so awkward, but I'm sure others will get it when I say it, if they're in love with someone. And that is the smell of my husband. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to judge that you picked coffee over your husband. Uh, There's no judgment there. (laughs) There is no judgment there. You're the first one, by the way, that has ever said their significant other. So. Oh, that's so great. So that's fine. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm super corny and lame and. When I hug him, I, I smell his neck, and he always goes, did you just smell my neck? And I said, oh, yes, I did. And so I love I love the smell of my neck. Seriously, so, Hallmark I think actually... just called me and asked me if you guys could do a movie together, so I just <laughs> want to let you know they're online, too, currently. Hallmark movie. Seriously. That's awesome. Uh, Meg, you're a delight. I wish you all the great Ditto. success. Um, it has been just entertaining. I love, I love your perspective. I love what you're, you know, talking about. But how can people find out more about you and what you're doing and and all the things, uh, Meg, if you will? Yeah, thank you so much for asking. I love, I'm, I'm honored to serve, and I love connecting with my recovering holy rollers, my fellow recovering holy rollers. I mean, and my fellow spiritually attuned go getters, um, MegCalvin.com. And then on Facebook, Meg Calvin, and on Instagram, Meggie underscore Lee underscore Calvin. And um, Meggie Lee Calvin is my legal name, and it's also my pen name as an author. And so, um, yeah, so that's, I, I would love to connect with you and partner with you and listener and serve and serve you in any way that I, that I can. So, and then of course, the Listening Chair podcast, we're on all major podcast platforms. And we come out every Saturday, and we're a podcast about how stories of career, vocation, and God's voice intertwine. And we interview morticians and molecular biologists and um, machinists and educators and comedians. We interview people from all career fields and basically explore their discernment process and the spiritual undertones of all careers. And so Miranda and I would be honored to get cozy with you in a listening chair as well. Oh, that'd be fun. That'd be really fun, actually. So, awesome. Uh, well, again, Meg, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, we're going to end with that. So, there we are. There's our little outro music. So, guys, go listen to our stuff. Go listen to The Listening Chair. Check out our book. We'll, of course, link all that in our show notes available. Garrett will make sure everything is there just as she described it to you. I want to, again, thank you so much for joining us. And remember, when you walk in other people's shoes, you really do get a different perspective on life. On behalf of Garrett and myself, I want to say thank you so much for listening and stay tuned till next week. Thank you so much for joining us on Other People's Shoes. Of course, you know I'm your host, Neil Matthews. Gotta say one more time, thank you to Meg for coming on. Great interview, great just insight. I love our dialogue today. I love her stories. Probably my greatest takeaway was the mistake that she made with Louis Giglio and that whole Matt Redmond situation. That to me was pretty hilarious. Hey, just wanted to call your attention, of course, to hear past, present, and future episodes. That can be done at uh, OPSpodcast.com. is a great place to book mark for past present and future episodes that's where they'll be of course we would also like to give you a little sneak preview of next week and we're excited about this guest here's a sneak preview all right i'm about to pay these dues i'm over here while i'm standing in other people's shoes yep 
and now I'm about to check it. Once you do that, you can get some real perspective. Uh, like a record every time I'm going through. I got some other people's songs that I'm going to. And I have to grab the shoe, and it's unlikely. If I get the other people's shoes, it's probably Nike. Yup, okay, now you can see this. I can rock Adidas, represent my Jesus. That's right. Without further ado, we are getting a mainstream Christian rapper. There's more to hear about that next week. I want to invite you back next Wednesday for that. Of course, OPS Podcast Show is a nonprofit entity. So if you'd like to give to the show, you may do so. Of course, we have linked our PayPal account information down below. So please feel free to do so. If you have questions, comments, or feedback, you can, of course, call, text our hotline. And that's done at 203-548-7463. 203-548-SHOE. Pretty cool, huh? Of course, like us, follow us, tweet us. That can all be done under OPS Podcast Show. And uh, of course, there you will see all of our social medias on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And of course, remember when you walk in other people's shoes, you really do get a different perspective on life. And I just want to say on behalf of Garrett and myself, thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned till next week when we go out to the great state of Florida. Until then, have a great week. We'll see you back right here when we walk in other people's shoes.